Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 98 of Death Readers, the podcast where we're reading through a book for the first time. In this episode of Death Readers, we're going to be reading through uh, True Grit, chapter six. Just just chapter six? Just one chapter. Just chapter six. It's a, In my book, it's a 50-page chapter, so that's enough for one episode. Um, <laughs> maybe. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, if this is your first time listening, what we're going to do is we're going to start with this chapter in this page of this book, and we're going to go through it and share notes with each other and see what kind of conversations those notes bring up and, you know, maybe learn something along the way. If this is your first time listening, uh, we encourage you to read the thing we're reading this episode and then follow along so you can know what we're talking about because we're probably going to get pretty specific in our trying to follow our own train of thoughts and stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, it's probably best just to be informed. Yeah. Do you have any housekeeping before we get started? I have a little bit of housekeeping. Wow. First of all, we had a discussion last show that touched briefly on Mark Twain's Yankee and King Arthur's Court. Oh, Rookie of the Year, right. Right. And listening to it, it, it kind of sounded like you thought there was a a paradox in the title that it that the guy was a Yankee, but also from the South. No. Okay, because that's the other. I'm like, I'm like, you know, it's not a Confederate Yankee in King Arthur's Court, right? It's, it's Connecticut. Connecticut they were, Yankee. Right, yeah. they're in the North. Okay, so just check. I, I said no. I said our bit was that it would be a Confederate Yankee in King Arthur's Court. Oh, that I missed you saying that because that's really funny and I like it. But that led me to thinking about our. Stars of a Kid in King Arthur's Court conversation. I wanted to double check, and yes, Daniel Craig and Kate Winslet are both in that. I should watch that movie again. Um, and then last but not least... Draw and quarter me like one of your French girls. There's only one time you can make that joke. And this is it. What did she say? <laughs> Because it sounded like Tron, quote no. me, like one of your French girls. And I'm like, <laughs> I said, I'm no, not I getting said, how we got there. I said, draw and quarter me like one of your French girls. That's fucking great. <laughs> I fucking know, which is why your dead ass face killed me. I was sitting there going, number one, I'm sitting on fire. Number two, he's not responding like I'm sitting on fire. So it must be part of the bit that he's playing that I'm not killing this. Because I am. <laughs> I mean, they're both Disney movies, Tron and Kid and King Arthur's Court. Maybe that's what he's doing. I don't think Bruce Boxleitner's in it. But Jeff Bridges is in Tron, and he's in True Grit. I mean, that's sort of like a way... I mean, uh, I don't buy for a second that that was what you were thinking when you weren't laughing. But <laughs> I'll allow it. I won't fight you on it. Uh, last but not least, housekeeping. Yes, you were correct. They were red bone coonhounds. Hey! Just thought. Yay! Checking the veracity. I would check that, and I was right. I appreciate that check. I didn't. I didn't bother to check that. I was like, I'm confident. I'm confident in my knowledge of where the red fern grows. Did you ever see the sequel? Where the red uh, fern grows too. No. Electric Boogaloo. 
I have a I don't remember it very well, but I have a I, I have a feeling it's like, what if we tell the same story and change a couple Mad Libs elements of it? Oh, it's like Home Alone three. Like this time, it's brother and sister who have the brother and sister dogs or something like that. And you're like, whoa, crazy. Are they what still they... red red bone coon hounds? I think so. Those are beautiful okay. dogs, by the way. Those I, fuck okay. You don't have an, a, the capacity to evaluate dogs based on beauty. No, I can. I just didn't know that was going to be uh, integral to our discussion about dogs. Like, <laughs> are you offended you that it, it might the, be the, the way you slapped that <laughs> that that rare magic card down uh, was like we're done. I just <laughs> I just fucking won the game. Wow. You are you are psychotic. That I just I just was pointing out that I think it's worth noting that red bone coonhounds are adorable. I also don't even know if is it okay to say red bone anymore. Was it ever bad to say red bone? Red bone may be one of many slurs. For whom? Many different people. Can you give me an example? Just citing it in a, in this roundabout way, I don't find is going to be problematic. So I think it's okay. Do you know what the name of the band who sings the Uga Chaka song from the Guardians of the Galaxy is? Uh, I know it if you told me. I can't think of it right now. It's Redbone. Okay, they're they're a Native American band, right? Yes. I see where you might be going with this. Right. Also, there's another use of that word. When it comes to describing people's ethnicities, that I'm not re I don't, I don't know enough about. Okay, to I've, clarify, I've never heard this. But I'll so but I'm not going to say it's but, wrong. But I'm pretty sure I'm going to do a real quick Google search, real quick. Let's what do a quick Google search. Okay, so I just did all One the googling Google later. Um, I learned uh, I I was mostly right. I guess I should just like read the things I've read. Um. The word Redbone, apparently, in relation to the band, is a Cajun, according to the Wikipedia page, uh, is a Cajun term for a mixed-race person, uh, which the band adopted to signify their mixed ancestry. Hmm. Um, also, it, it's, the other thing I knew is I knew that there was a Childish Gambino song called Redbone, which my, was my first exposure to that this other terminology, which, according to DailyRapFacts.com, is, uh, refers to as attractive light-skinned woman hmm. so although i will also point out interesting just this is like probably it's like a an uncomfortable new word alert <laughs> when you uh when you look it up in the dictionary in, in the webster's it says any breed of agile, speedy coonhounds of U.S. origin having a usually solid dark red coat. So I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know how that word got co-opted to be a signifier of someone's skin color or a oh, uh, to be used in that. I, I'm, I'm curious, you know, if that was a, if that was a. I mean, we thing. can conjecture all kinds of things, but. Right. I'm not gonna, but I'm just saying it, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to see those things in vernaculars evolve. So it just made me wonder if you're, if that, like, if that is the kind of thing that would be problematic for someone, which I wouldn't want to do. Anyway, 
But uh, yeah, they're uh, they are beautiful dogs, which is what I was just trying to say the whole time. I guess you win. I don't know how that's a thing, <laughs> but I they they have this at least in the movies they like have this gorgeous shiny coat and this like these lean agile bodies, this musculature, these like floppy ears. Oh, and they're so red. They look like the 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 dirty clay of Montana. Or the, the you know, that sure. they look like that. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. Um, was that all your uh, uh, your stuff? Yep. Well, that was Death Readers. Um, <laughs> we've got one whole chapter to read. Oh yeah, right. Uh, okay. Uh, so that brings us to chapter six. <sighs> okay. So that brings us to chapter six. I don't have a summary because it's a it's a third of the book. I don't. I mean, I mean, they're on the trail of Tom Chaney and they have some adventures on the way. Well, it's yeah, I guess, it's but life like they, on the trail. So they they go through. They find this like cabin where where they think Tom, they 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 uh on their hunt for Tom Cheney they take a, a detour to a a dugout is what they call it like a like a cabin where people can stop on the way in the road that's abandoned and it was small and built by somebody who just erected it and then like left or who knows but it's apparently a well known place that people pop in and out of when they need time mm-hmm. and when they get in there they find some bad guys who they're suspicious of and get into a little bit of a firefight with. And then turns out these guys are like thieves of some kind and some sort of nefarious folk. And one of them's hit real bad in the leg with a bullet from the firefight. Um, and the, and rooster and, uh, Maddie and the beef get inside, <clears throat> sort of take control of the, of the place. And then, uh, through a very interesting and, and stressful conversation, get to the point where, the two guys turn on each other because one of them is about to squeal on, you know, the people they're working for mm-hmm. and they Oops. both end up dead. And then Brewster and uh, Labeef figure out that they, they suspect that Tom Cheney's on going to be on his way to this, this cabin to, that night. So they set up an ambush. Um, and sure enough, long while later, Tom Cheney, not Tom Cheney, but uh, uh, lucky Ned Pepper, and his gang show up and there is a firefight. Um, couple guys die. Couple couple of um, of Lucky Ned Pepper's gang gets taken down. Not including Ned Pepper, Tom Cheney. Well, we don't even know if Tom Cheney's. Well, there, I'm saying the dead ones are not Tom Cheney. We yes, don't none know of if the Tom dead is ones, riding with Ned right, right now, but he's definitely none of the not dead one of the ones, dead ones. Right. And and neither is Ned Pepper. Ned Pepper also escapes. I really like, I'll get there, I guess, but like, I really like how Ned Pepper becomes a sort of like sub villain. I like how he becomes Rooster's Joker. Mm-hmm. Like he's the guy who keeps getting away and Rooster can't catch. That all happens. Then it, then the rest of the story is about like, or the rest of this chapter is about Labeef getting wounded a little. And then they have to care. They have to travel with the bodies of the dead men to and this new town and, and the horses that they stole or whatever, and I'd say they were claimed. So the horses were stolen. They're taking them to, to the dead men stole the yes. de- the horses. Okay. They being the dead men stole. Pronoun trouble. Got it. Yes, and then they get to this town. Oh, oh, and they also learned that Ned Pepper and his gang had just hit a, a they had robbed a train. 
they had robbed a train and sold a bunch of money from the passengers and from the, I guess there's a safe inside the train, killed a couple people on the train, and... I just did a job almost exactly like this in Red Dead Redemption. So I was Well, now I have to it. get Red Dead Redemption, so thanks a lot, Rob. It's a, it's a popular game. Oh, is it? Is it the most popular game from three years ago and I just never got around to it? Yeah. I just got I I'm got aware. Okay, I'm aware. Can I have a horse? Yes. So I name the horse. Yeah, you can name the horse. What do I get to name the horse? Whatever you like. I name I can name it whatever I like. Anything you like. All right. You can have th- up to three horses, and you can name every one of them. I could have more horses than that. No. You can steal horses, but you can only keep three to your name that you can find in any stable. Anyway. Yeah. So they uh, they make it to this town with their with the dead bodies and, and the horses, and they meet up with the... Uh, I think this is a, uh, a Native American town that is uh, run by a... Or there's another guy there. I, I don't... I, they use the. I think he uses the word chief, but I can't remember if he's like the chief of police. Of because I think oh. they mentioned that he's like he's like a a police chief in the sense that he runs the. They call them like the Lightfoot Gang or something like that. Some sort of cavalry, like the Lightfoot Cavalry, I think is what they call them. Right. Which is a specific group of law enforcement that pertain to specifically Native American crimes, and they even mention in the book like any crime. Involving Native Americans, it also involves white people, is how, essentially how they put it, goes to other law. Really weird and interesting. Um, I'm sure it's very realistic, mm-hmm. but it's also very interesting. Anyway, they get there, they talk to this guy, they, they ask him to take care of the dead bodies and the, you know, the loot and to contact the people who need to get their stuff back. It all seems so slow. When you think about, like, that's what I kept thinking about, all this stuff. Like, it seems so slow to be like, well, now I'm on a train or I, I now I'm on a new train that's heading to a new place. And when am I going to get my stuff? How do I claim my stuff if I'm going across across this country? How am I going to get all the stuff that was stolen from me that's rightfully mine back? Like, do I have to make an appearance? Do I have to physically get it? I, oh, it just seems. Oh, my God. Awful. Seems awful. So they do that. And then they uh, I think the rest of the chapter is really just them riding out further in hunt of Ned Pepper and his gang and riding hard. And it's just like, it's just sort of like 10 pages or so of like describing the events of the day where they travel. I think she said 50 miles in a day mm-hmm. until they rest. And at the end of our chapter, did I miss anything that's important in the summary? I don't believe so. While they were in that town, Labeef also got treated for his wound. He got a, a bullet or hit his uh his rifle but his his which, rifle yeah which exploded and shattered and sent splinters in, into his arm yeah. uh, which was pretty rough and then so he had a he had a doctor at the town they visited patch him up which may be the i mean i'm, I'm we haven't finished yet we have one more chapter or <laughs> one more episode but uh it may be the equivalent of the biting through the tongue bit oh you think that's the because, like, that... We can get there later. We'll, yeah, we'll get, get there. there. We can get there. We can get, we can um, so if I didn't it. miss anything, then we should just start with our notes. Okay. My first note has to do with uh, before any of the stuff I summarized happened, and they make it to the uh, store. Oh, mine's before that. Okay, go for it. Uh, dinner time. Totally right. psyched me out, because we said we're going to read until dinner time for that first chapter, and for whatever reason, through this whole thing, I imagine it was going to be... By the time I got to the end of those five chapters, I imagined dinner time was going to pertain to Maddie and Rooster and Labeef sitting down to eat whatever beans, salt pork, what have you. And it was dinner time came and went. We didn't eat. I'm like, oh, 
it just it was it was a very interesting way to start out because almost from the first word I didn't know what was going to happen. Awesome. Um, and then my other thing, I'm I'm torn between being charmed and annoyed when Maddie takes time to explain her exasperation with figures of speech. Like what? It's it's like old West Seinfeld. South isn't down. How can you have down in a three dimensional space? Once the deal. Which is talking about that, down on the map. That one did freak me out a little bit, though. When I read that, I was I, I had this weird trip where I was like, how do we know what down is? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, my God. Like, why do we orient our maps this way? <sighs> and then I was thinking about, like, how, you know, I mean, I know how gravity works to it, like conceptually. I know how I know what effects it has. I can I understand why the things in my room aren't flying around in space. But the idea that like when you when you say that's not down and it's like, oh, shit, <laughs> she's fucking right. I, I, I don't want to get too heavy into uh, theology, but I think a lot of it has to do with human beings like to strive for direction. They like to have something to go for, something they know is right as the basis for everything. And when you look at a compass needle, that metal is pulled towards the north, the true north, the way that's up. I think it's as simple I, as that. Yeah, I guess, but couldn't you make a compass that pointed to south? Only because it would have like a tail on it that would be not metal, and so when the metal pointed up, the the part you looked at points down. I guess it's dumb. I'm not saying it's not. I hate it all. Okay. I hate everything. Fair Why enough. can't the people in the South Pole and the South Southern Hemisphere have a map where or a globe where they're on the top? Huh? How, I why not? People, I think some people do have alternate maps that show they things fucking differently. Should, yeah. Anyway, what next? Um, I, I had to look up unconditional election when she made a comment, when Maddie made a comment about how like the Presbyterians believed in election or the other one didn't. Do you remember this? No. Well, she, I think she was talking about maybe the Catholics. But she said something like, they don't even believe in election. And I'm like, that can't, they're not talking about voting. What is this? Oh. And so I looked it up. Unconditional election, also known as unconditional grace, is a reformed doctrine relating to predestination that describes the actions and motives of God prior to his creation of the world. When he Mm. predestined some people to receive salvation, the elect, and the rest, he left to continue in their sins and receive just punishment, eternal damnation, for their transgression of God's law as outlined in the Old and New Testaments of the Bible. God made these choices according to his own purposes, apart from any conditions or qualities related to those persons. Wow. So it's kind of like you know, the 700 Club, the whatever various other religions say, this select amount of people are going to be saved because it's all predestined. Is the 700 Club literally 700 people? That's going to make it to heaven? I is don't that know about? enough about that, but I kind Oof. of feel like it is. That's an incredibly low number. But it was interesting because she also, because this is the whole part of the book where she said, um, it, the Presbyterian, whatever, it's good enough for me and it's good enough for you too, and then cited chapters and, by, and verses. Right, you remember this? Right. Okay. Yeah. And I looked them up, and that's some of the, not all of them, but some of them are cited in that Wikipedia article that I found hmm. under there. So I'm just like, are you preaching at me, Portis? Or is you just really into your character's head? It was interesting. Yeah. Uh, I don't have an answer for you, but no. I'm what glad is... you all looked all that up because I didn't. <laughs> what is your, because I think my next one's uh, in the store. 
So what's your story? Mine's mine's about uh, when Rooster cuts the mule loose, mm-hmm. and I was just something about reading gra- what I would consider graphic animal abuse that makes me unhappy. I I knew you were going to have a note. So in this scene, there's a mule or maybe an ass. She calls it. Might be the same thing. Uh, tied up outside the store, and it's being choked by its own tether. And it, the sun had baked the wet tether, and so it's like hot and it's shrunk and it's it's not like it can just be easily slipped off and this thing is you know having trouble breathing and two boys are laughing at it and not doing anything about it i mean uh, it was it was it was t- I, it was one of those i let i had a huge sigh of relief because i didn't re- and i didn't real i hadn't realized how high the tension was when rooster you know kind of kicked them into the mud and gave them a very you know rooster talking to and then cut the ass free so it could breathe but no, animal cruelty never fun to read. Yeah, it's hard for me. Like, not like it's not hard for other people, but it, what what's hard about it for me, um, is like just these like feelings of like like knowing that that shit happens. You know, like that there are people out there who abuse animals in ways that are like like just similar to that. Like that cruelty, that literal. Like this is this is a like th- I think there's a difference between like uh butchering an animal for food right and laughing at an animal's misfortune you know what i mean like I there's do. a there's a there's a an element of like grisly necessity to One. eating meat mm-hmm. and then there's the malicious vindictive cruelty that of the other i think a lot of time people who are incredibly empathic mix those two things up when it comes to especially like eating meat. Mm-hmm. But um, reading stuff like this, it, it reminds me of like, and this is okay. So if, if this is too much for the show, I understand that. Okay. But like when I read stuff like this, it calls to mind some of the worst things I've seen on the internet um, and, and not things that I really wanted to see, but things that I saw. I mean, you have already addressed one of these in 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 book seven of Harry Potter. When we talked I about did. The you talked about the dog with the ears. Oh, oh good. Oh, thank God. I, that's, that's what I was gonna talk about. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> I, then I I already talked about that then. Yeah. So that's fine. Yeah. Um. Th- that it makes me think of that image. Sure. No. I like, mean that it, is. It's clear that that image has had a profound effect on you, and even something that could arguably be argued that it's not as bad it takes you to that place and you are like right no animal cruelty is bad because i've seen some of the worst well it, it's well it, it's it's more that it's honestly i don't know if i got i don't know i don't remember that conversation but i'll, I'll trust it happened but the, the thing about it for me it, that, it, that what it does to me is it makes me remember that picture and what i remember about that picture was the dog's face mm-hmm. was was this was being able to infer what the dog was feeling at the time because this dog wasn't cowering in a corner. It wasn't like running away. It wasn't trying to escape. This dog had been broken so hard that it wasn't even trying any of those things. That it was just sitting there completely broken inside. Any part of that animal's soul, its will to live, it's like, sense of decency it's it's sense of like like what should and shouldn't happen to it had all completely disappeared and it looked like an animal that was just sitting there like 
what are they going to do to me next? And that understanding of that feeling and just being able to pick that out of its its face is the thing that always comes back to me. And it, it, it's the helplessness. It's that feel, that idea that that animal was a victim and had no choice in, in, in no way of helping itself with these cruel monsters that tortured it. And so when I read things like that with this horse, it's the same thing. This animal is trying its hardest to help it. It's a fictional animal, but it's right. trying in, in the fiction, it's trying its hardest to help itself. And there are people around who have turned this animal into a beast of burden who could help it in the most decent thing you can do to an animal you've conscripted into a life of servitude. It's the nicest thing you could do is just to take care of it, just to treat it well. And these characters don't. And it just made me think about all the people out there who do that, who all the people out there who must exist, who do this mm-hmm. um, or, or things like this, who allow their animals to suffer and don't help them. And how like, much that is uh, painful to think about and to, and to think about how it wouldn't, it just would not take much to like, okay, for example, my life, like I have a dog I really don't like, or it's not that I don't really like him. It's just like, it's, it's like he, he is very aggravating. He has a lot of personality traits that I find irksome and irritating and persistently so. Um, he's very whiny. He's very uh, needy, and 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 he needs a lot of attention, and he doesn't realize how big he is. <laughs> so like, there's a lot of these problems. There's so many of these problems that just compound and make him really hard to manage. So sometimes that manifests with me in frustration, and I'll do things like we kennel the dogs at night, and so like we will uh, we walk him over to the kennels, we put him in. Well, he's, he has this thing where he'll stubbornly not go in his kennel sometimes at night and he'll sit there and he'll shiver and he'll shake in this pathetic way. That's sad, but also like, bro, I, this has to happen. Like this isn't torture. (laughs) This, this is just where you sleep. Like the other two dogs are doing fine and they're in much smaller cages than yours. Like even proportionally, their cages are much smaller than yours. So relax, give me a break and just walk in and say, like, just save me the effort of trying to, of like shoveling you in. But sometimes he won't. And he'll just stand there and make me like pick him up, you know, a little bit and sort of like scoot him in. And sometimes and he'll fight. So it becomes a little like harder to get him in. Sometimes I have to kind of force him in. The point of this story is that a couple of days ago, I had this realization that I, this dog is like 15 years old. That's not the realization. That's context. The dog is about 15 years old. And I had this realization that he resists a lot more at nighttime when it's dark. And so it occurred to me that maybe he's not resisting me. He can't see where he's going. Oh. And he's afraid that he's going to be he's going to smash into the cage or he can't see what's in front of him. He doesn't want to go there. Now, I, I don't know how to test a dog's vision to determine whether or not he's actually like going blind or anything. Because he's he's he operates fine all the time. It's, right. It certainly seems like he operates great. He just could he may have problem in darkness. Like it could be that situation where he's working fine because his fucking pupils are open as wide as they can go all the time. Like they're taking in as much light as possible. Um, it could be one of those situations. And at at nighttime, he might not have that ability. So 
I took that opportunity to think to, to put it into my memory banks. Okay. Now that I know, now that I have this suspicion about him, I'm going to try new things. Mm-hmm. I'm going to turn on all the lights at night when we, when we kennel the dogs so that he has as much opportunity as I can provide for him to see where he's going and see if that changes things Two, I'm going to be more empathetic when I and careful and more courteous when I put him into the kennel, if he, if he still resists, because he, even no matter how frustrating he gets, one of the things that's, that I I have to work on is that he isn't actually being malicious. He isn't actually being a bad dog, mm-hmm. but like, you know, he still has to get from point A to point B. So that's what I think everyone should do <laughs> is they should look for opportunities to be better. Put in effort to make this creature who can't talk's life as good as possible. Well, but, but again, like even if, if you see an opportunity where you are failing and you have the chance to do something better, like these people in this story saw with this animal, right? Take that opportunity. Like just it, it's, I don't know. I don't want to get preachy either, but it's just like, it's one of those things that for me, it's, it's something that I have to work on Yeah. Uh, with, with this specific dog. And it's like, I have to make that happen. So it just, it just, it brought all that stuff up. It brought up, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, I don't like it. You said you have a note about the store. Oh, um, the James conversation when he told the boys that he was Mr. James, the bank examiner of Clay County, mm-hmm. and then they immediately, the boys immediately jumped to, "You're not one of the James brothers, Jesse and Frank." Jesse, right, right, right. Um, and so I'm like, I, I didn't notice anything else that that would have intimated he was one of those james anybody could have the name james these kids were teenagers they should have they were she said they were about 17 they should have known there could be other jameses and i looked it up and frank and jesse they had they're one of those you know they were itinerant didn't they had a lot of jobs i don't think anybody was a bank examiner from clay county so i I, it was just a weird passage other than coming back to the james later when he when rooster's telling his backstory and ellie had run-ins with some of them uh it, it was just weird for me well, I wonder. I wonder if it has more to do with like if there was a very popular film that came out or a book that came out around the time, and in a dramatization of the events, the the concept of those characters or those people having been bank examiners came up, so that as a reference point, it makes more sense. Well, maybe, maybe it's like a like like a joke, like bank examiner, bank thief kind of thing. Right, right. Gotcha. Maybe okay. that's like a that could be like a. Uh, a thing where they say when you know what do you boys do for a living we're bank examiners gotcha you know what i mean that, like, that, that, that actually makes a lot of sense right um that's how i read it at least sure. it was like you don't tell people you're bank robbers you sweeten it up okay so yeah and my next note's about corn dodgers uh my next note's about drinking water from a horse print okay i don't remember which one i don't remember which one comes first you can i think i think they're having mine's probably quickly first. yeah the thing about Labeef talking about how he drinks water from a horse print, like or how he, you're lucky to get this water. I've, I've done this for and been happy to do it. I just love when Rooster and Labeef fight. <laughs> I think it's very, so funny. Where Rooster responds, yeah, I've heard that from you and every other goddamn Texas Ranger. Yeah, I, I believed it the first 50 times I heard it from, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> from every person from Texas. Um, Texas gets a lot of, sh- takes a lot of shit in this book. I, yeah, it's great. <laughs> it, it, it is kind of great because I've never heard that attitude before. It's always, you know, 
deep in the heart of Texas. But uh, yeah. not in this book. Yeah. Um, I, I love their wit. I love how like they cut each other apart. Like I, I love, and again, it just, unfortunately it just brings to mind the movie, which I, I just love the performances in that movie so much. And it's, and it's clear, like so much of it just comes straight from these pages. It's so rich. Like these pages are so rich in dialogue mm-hmm. that it's a natural fit for film. I just, I really, really, really like those sequences. Uh, and this one specifically is very, very funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I think this is the one where he says, he says, uh, Labib says something like, that's right. Make me foolish in this girl's eyes. <laughs> and it's just like, I've been in conversations with people like that where the, you feel like, oh, this person doesn't have a point, but they are embarrassed that they don't have a point. So in order for them to win the conversation, they have to try to make you look stupid, even though that doesn't actually win the conversation or the argument. Oh and my this God. It's not about I, you. I this is not about the conversation. You. This isn't about you. <laughs> I know it's not. But it's that thing where you're like, you realize I, I've done it where I've realized what happened and what happens, what's happening mm-hmm. and then get angry myself because it's like, fuck you, man. Like, why would you be such a dick? Like this just why do you have to be so c- connected to this win or loss? Like, why, why is this so embarrassing? It's just not the truth. Right. The thing you're saying isn't reality. So eh, whatever. <laughs> Uh, what's your next note about corn dodgers? Corn dodgers. So I think she said Rooster brought about 170 corn dodgers or uh, hot water dumplings, I think she called them. So I had to look it up because mm-hmm. I'm all about food and books. Oh, are you um, going to make them? you going to make them? No, no, no. These are – so you know what cornbread is. Mm-hmm. You got your fat. You got your quick bread leaveners. You've got flour and cornmeal, some enrichers like eggs and butter. Corn Dodgers is mostly cornmeal, salt, and hot boiling water to soften it a little bit. Because cornmeal oh. can be kind of gritty. Maybe there's a leavening agent, like baking powder, I'm not sure. But then you take that and you can fry it or bake it, which is what Rooster had. Or you can cook those dumpling style in water. I think they called it like pot liquor from Collard Greens um, to add some flavor to it. Uh, but these are not... You know, tasty hobbity elfish corn cakes. These are chunks of uh, not not even. I feel like hush puppies would be more palatable than these corn things. Well, I think we could co-op the name and make something pretty tasty out oh, of sure. the idea. Like, oh sure. Like imagine like like you were saying a hush puppy, but like softer. I mean, how would you make it a Dodger though? put a little bit of vienna sausage inside yeah wondered that's what i'd do okay let that bake up or or maybe just actually cut up a a cooked hot dog or Or corn dog or or or, well i mean that would just be a corn dog right like if you cut it up but i want it to be a ball like oh okay i want it to be a sphere of cornmeal and cornbread really cornbread Mm -hmm. so i don't really want it fried is the other thing i actually just want this like i want to make corn bread cupcakes with hot dogs inside i think that's how you do it that's a hell of a thing can it be a full hot dog so it's sticking out and flopping to the side no because you want to eat more so like you don't want to like you don't want to eat like you don't want to have one corn dog thing and you're like or, or, or corn dodger and then you're like and also this is eating an entire hot dog like you want to have like two of these things or maybe three and that's a whole hot dog in there with a lot of cornbread around it okay that's my pitch I love it. Uh, uh, Maddie trying to tell a ghost story. 
Oh yeah. It was a little sweet, a little sad. I had also had to look up uh, Midnight Caller. One of no. you have to be the caller. I'll play all the other parts. Yeah, I'm like, what, what do does exactly that mean? What I say. No. What do you mean? Uh, when you... <laughs> um, so I looked it up, and mostly it was references to this book. A couple people had some, like, maybe it's kind of like this thing. But it was funny because one of the citations, who the guy who was asking the questions, like, I just watched True Grit, and Maddie wanted to play Midnight Caller, and Duke told her no because he was drinking. And I'm like, oh, you're talking about the John Wayne version because everyone called him mm. Duke, the Duke or Duke. But he's like, and it also came up in Buster Scruggs. And I'm like, wait a second, but that's the Coen brothers. So now I'm very it curious was... if they mention Midnight Caller in the Jeff Bridges True Grit. They do. Okay. Yeah, 100%. I wonder, um, I wonder if that's uh, anonymous internet questioner made that connection or if he didn't realize. I think he may have mixed them up because I don't remember it in, I don't remember it in Buster Scruggs. But doesn't mean it wasn't there, but it's definitely in Cohen True Grit. Okay. Got uh, bedding down for the night. Mm-hmm. The snake thing? The snake thing. Um, I looked at it. So so Rooster goes to put a lariat around his sleep his bedroll to keep snakes out. I looked that up. Complete myth. Seems to be a myth. Snakes will cross rope. All kinds of rope. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and it's funny because... The person who was talking about this, like, but snakes don't really off enter inner sleeping bags that often. I'm like, okay, but I actually worked in the Utah desert hiking kids around, and there's at least a story. I mean, that I believe. I don't believe it, it wasn't like a legend. Like, like I first person, what is it, a primary heard source it from someone, right? No, primary source told me about it. Uh, uh, waking up with a coiled rattlesnake in his bag with him. Yuck. And how. He had to get everyone's attention and like, you grab the bottom of the bag, you grab my hands and we'll uh, pull it apart. Yeah, terrifying. Freaking terrifying. Um, so that was interesting. Rope's not going to cut it. Apparently all yeah. all the snake deterrents, like sonic emitters and all kinds of things, not going to cut it. Uh, shotguns. That's about it. You got to be awake, though. Yeah, yeah. When you're, oh, when, I'm when, when, you're, when you're sleeping and you're giving off all that sweet, sweet body heat and the snake's like, oh, I'm going to give me some of that. I'm gonna give me yeah, some of that. Yeah, your your whole what you have to do and the only thing you can do is shoot them when you see them. Yeah, and or just, back uh, away. No, just shoot them. Shoot <laughs> them all. Just shoot all venomous snakes all the time, all the time. That is the only animal I can safely say I would not care if it only existed in captivity. Don't have any problem with that. Like, yep, totally fine with that. Okay. Uh, my next, my next note's not till we get to the dugout. So do you have anything? Um, mine's just at the dugout. Yeah. Same. Well, another food recipe. Well, not recipe, but the softki or mm-hmm. sofki. Basically grits. Yeah. Basically made from hominy, not maize, corn porridge. So cool. Yeah. The, the book of, uh, the cookbook out of true grit is not going to be a delectable one. No, other than that fudge. I don't recall the fudge. We talked about it last time. The fudge and the parched peanuts. Oh, yes, that's that's true. Parched peanuts. Yeah. But still, you know, biscuits with bacon. We talked about that, too. I mean, it still just sounds like... I would eat biscuits with bacon. I'm telling you, that's that's good. And gingerbread? I don't... No. I mean, this is, this, is all, <laughs> this is all fine if you have nothing else to eat. Sure. But this doesn't whet my appetite. Well, then, what's your next note? Mine's just fucking another note about how much I love the, this writing. Like, Yes, go for it. Um, it's just, it's just, I love the sequence in the dugout at, like I, or the, where they, uh, 
I love the sequence where Rooster's like, we have five marshals out here. We're coming in. And then, the, and then they start firing and then they like smoke them out. I love the cleverness of that. I love getting in the room with them and like interrogating them. I love, I just, I think it's great. <laughs> it's just really like, it's, it's, it's so suspenseful. It's, it escalates the tension in, in the exactly the right time. Like you really need to feel, we I needed another piece of action, mm-hmm. you know, at this point, even if it was like relatively low stakes. And then we get into like a good cop, bad cop interrogation sequence where, what is what does uh moon say this vexes me <laughs> or something like that he's he just constantly keeps looking at, at, at uh maddie and saying like you perplex me like i don't understand what you are doing here <laughs> like this is this, just this whole thing where it's so it's so funnily like simple like he's so he's so kind of dumb where he's just like I, i'm i'm shot and i'm hurt but i'm very confused too why is there a, a 12 year old 14 year old girl here what is this so the two guys in the dugout, one of them gets shot. Yeah. They both give up, are taken into custody by Labeef and Rooster, who want to stage a ambush for Ned Pepper's gang. And while they're there, they're waiting for the gang. They're making some food. And then, oh, my God, the most bloody thing happens. Yeah. yeah. Moon, Moon is the shot one. Moon is the victim, yeah. Moon, Moon, is Moon is, they're, they're, he's the he's the one that they're working on. He's the one who's going to give up any info. And the because not only have they been feeding him drink, but he's also losing blood. Yeah. So like he's getting wasted, and he's his blood's already depleted. And they're they're so definitely playing into that. Like, oh, got to get that looked at. Right. And so he's like, fine, I'm just going to give him some information. And the other guy who was armed with a Bowie knife, and I had to look back why he was cutting up the chicken. Right. Uh, hacks off the four of his fingers. Yeah. Just, and then they shoot him. He stabs the guy on the way down. I was just holy bloody fingerless is what I, or holy bloody finger loss is what I wrote. Yeah. Yeah. It was quite shocking. Yeah. And then he gives his dying declaration as much info as he can before he expires. One of the things I really like about this book and, and the, the Coen brothers movie, but obviously the source material, um, is, how I feel like there's a there's a extreme realism in the violence. Mm-hmm. Like you've seen incredibly violent things. Sure. It it has an unrealness to it. It has this like wow factor. I would argue also that when the violence seems more realistic, there's a bigger disconnect I can't process. I watch right. Kill Bill, I'm fine with it. I watch some of the horrible shit that happens in Pan's Labyrinth and I I freeze. I'm like, what the fuck? What? I yeah. I, I think about like if I want. You're right. Like watching the crazy eighty eight get killed is yeah, just exactly. silly. Yeah. But like, but if I imagine, if I even just mentally, if I imagine a a sequence where someone's being degloved, it makes my brain stop. Right. Like I have to right. stop imagining it because right. it's so horrific. Yes. Um. Or like uh something like if if someone was getting like the corners of their mouth cut open or mm-hmm. like their, or, or, or the, the webs and webbing of their fingers like sliced. Yeah. That shit is so much more horrific to me 
because it feels like it could happen. The crazy 88 shit never going to happen. I'm never going to be tied up in a, you know, I'm, well, I hope not. I hope I'm <laughs> hope, I hope I'm never tied up in a garage with someone cutting my ear off because it just feels like it's not really add a thing something to my bucket list. Hold on. <laughs> it just feels like it's not something that's really in my reality. Mm-hmm. But like someone like just ha- like having your fingers cut off, man, that feels much closer <laughs> for some reason. And then they they really underline it when, when they have him reach for the bottle and he's and with the wrong hand, with the fingerless hand. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah. feels like I still have fingers. And you're like, oh my god, ugh. And he's also like drunk, so he's kind of just like still realizing he's lost his fingers. Right. Oh, that and, sequence and in the dying. movie is great. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So like I. Uh, Oh man, that that whole sequence, the whole everything about it, it's just so wonderful. It's like that thing where I think the thing I like about it the most is when you when you see a story that has to have a moment like this, so often it feels predictable how it's going to end up. It feels like yeah, these people are going to lead them to the other guys and or and they're or the other guys are going to show go. up and it's going to be a shootout and that's how they'll die. Yeah, it's just going to it's just going to happen and it's 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 boring. And I I all I think there's a there's this I don't know exactly how to describe it, but something about this scene does this trope perfectly. And it's just very impressive because it feels so simple. It feels so uh, it's it's like the whole like whittling down your story mm-hmm. down the, the most important part thing. This is really bare bones. It's, it's so nothing's wasted in these sequences. It's e- even down to the guys doing a bad job of cutting up the turkey like he's so spiteful and and angry about what he's having to do that he just does it poorly. It's just perfect. It's so good. Uh, yeah. Well, you got any more notes? Uh, they search the now dead bodies and find one of, I called it one of your gold pieces. (laughs) I was like, Oh, there's the Doug piece, uh, the the Doug piece, the gold piece Doug talked about. Um, and I have no more notes until we get to rooster's backstory. Um, I, don't have any more notes until like oh, they're in the town. Okay, so now it's time to wait. Wait for they they have to make the the dugout cabin whatever it is look like murders were not committed there. So it might hopefully entice Ned Pepper and his gang into the cabin where they can be proper ambushed. Uh, Rooster and Maddie go wait with a clear view and a rifle of the entrance where Labeef is taking up position somewhere else. Um, and during this, Rooster just tells Maddie about his life. He was a Confederate. Uh, he was a road agent, which I had to look up. Basically, a highwayman. Um, he, he had a crazy life. He had a crazy life. He escaped uh, prison by the skin of his teeth. Tried some things. Always, always had no problem taking a road stake, which is basically robbing people on the road. Uh, bought a business, a restaurant, got married, had a kid. Oh my god! Just went yeah, whole on and life. on, whole life. And then now he's doing this. You're like, wow. It seems like it's something reasonable that someone, a varied life, condensed into you know a couple pages in a way that's realistic. It's, it's that great writing again. Yeah. You get these snatches that, of like, this life lived and you're like, wow. Well, and, and that like, he's, he's this old codger who's also still living. Mm-hmm. Like he's still got his way. Like he, he's, 
there's something uh, about the rooster character that's very like like you can tell he has some sort of regrets about the things he doesn't have anymore but he's also like i ain't gonna change yeah he's like I'm, that's that's not i'm not getting that back i've got this now this is what i have now yeah. and you know sort of like just one foot in front of the other kind of guy and it's it's just really interesting to read mm-hmm because um, it's unmistakable in his character. Even the parts later where he gets drunk and he starts mumbling to himself about stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and she sort of hears him say things that she thinks are, you know, he's he's figuring on something that Labeef said to him that got stuck in his brain. And he can't let it go and he's processing it while he's drinking. So it's just, it's just great. Like, uh, really good book. <laughs> Uh, I don't really have anything else. Ned Pepper and his gang show up. They immediately don't trust anything. Since one guy in, he's like, uh, the fire is still going, but it's burning low. Well, they wouldn't have left it, but the blood has been cleaned up. So they're very suspicious. He tries to signal. Labeef mistakes that. They, everyone gets into a firefight. That's when the accident happens. Uh, they kill two gang members. Rest get away. They grab the stolen the, the stolen horses, round up the stolen horses, they round up the bodies, bring all the bodies and the horses back into town. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have a note about town? Uh, my only note here is that uh, this part where, Le, like, let me see if I can find it. I might just read it. Sure. All right. This is on my page 144. Captain Finch looked LaBeef over, then said to Rooster, is this the man who shot Ned's horse from under him? Rooster said, Yes, this is the famous horse killer from El Paso, Texas. <laughs> His idea is to put everybody on foot. He says it will limit their mischief. Labeef's fair-complected face became congested with angry blood. He said, There was a very little there was very little light, and I was firing offhand. I did not have the time to find a rest. And then Captain Finch said, there's no need to apologize for that shot. A good many more people have missed Ned than have hit him. I was not apologizing, said Labeef. I was only explaining the circumstances. <laughs> and that line, I was I was not apologizing. I was only explaining the circumstances. Feels like a line I've said in my life many, many times. The and I I it just it struck me as this kind of thing where I feel like. <laughs> I feel like I, I, I do that a lot where I'll like try to explain something mm-hmm. in the way that I've seen it occur in a way to try to engender like understanding, trying to get someone to understand where I was coming from, which elicited the responses I had so that maybe those responses won't be considered so odd or so aggressive or whatever or defensive or whiny. Like, I've, I remember hearing that a lot as a kid. It was like, why are you whining? It's like, I'm not whining. I'm examining. <laughs> like, I, I'm trying to understand and, and get you to understand what's been happening here or what, what these circumstances are. That's a that's a, that's a a big one, dismissing kids. Basically, curiosity is whining because you don't want to think about it anymore. Right. Because you have this fascinating new thing. Yeah, you're tired. Right. And they have this thing that they, they, they've just woken up to. And they're like, I need to know more about this. And you're like, oh, stop whining. But like, it makes me, but my experience is that more often than not, people don't want to hear me try to make things clearer. Right. And I just wish there was a way to be understood better 
while also not burdening people with having to think about something. <laughs> like, cause it's, it's just, I, I don't know. It, it, I guess it only comforts me a little bit to think that, that in fiction somewhere, there's a character who I can relate to with that. Like I can look at LaBeef and go, yeah, man, I fucking know. I know what you're talking about. That does suck. It sucks when people <laughs> get on your ass when you're just trying to like walk them through an understanding. The only way to make someone understand something is to convey something back to them about the subject. And yeah, but it, I, I just tell you, man, so often it's just met with this sort of like irritation, like just uh-huh. like, oh, whatever. Yep. Okay. The beef's my hero now. I've 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 been in my head calling you Ladug and I'm Robster Cogburn for this whole thing. <laughs> and I figured out a way to work it in and now I'm like, oh okay. Awesome. Um that's my entire notes. I don't have any more notes. Well, but that's great though, because I believe that conversation directly leads into the uh shooting challenge. I don't know if it does, but it may no no, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't? Because we're doesn't. talking about shooting, so I thought maybe no, what happens is they leave town. They mm-hmm. ride off a ways. Rooster says, "We're leaving you here. We're leaving you here, baby sister." And then she says, "No, you're not." Labeef's like, "She's been pretty good, dude. Like she can handle it." And then uh, Rooster's like, "I'm out. We're I'm, I'm not waiting for you." And he rides off on his own. And she talks about how she and Labeef had to like work pretty hard to keep up with him. And eventually, his horse slowed down, and they caught up with him, and they got together. And then. They explain that they see a rider coming from some other direction. Oh, you're right. That rides you're up right. to them, Thank and you. that is that's the chief again. He's coming up to find them to tell them there's news. I don't remember what the news exactly was. Oh, um, maybe it was like where she probably is. Probably, probably where they were spotted. Which way to head, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you look at you can look it up if you want. Oh no, you're right. You were right. I'm going to try not to gloat, but because uh, once the news had been, I mean, I think you're still right about the where it is. He explained. OK, well, yeah, no, it's uh, uh, no, no. The, the story about Captain Finch writing up to them happens on the p- previous page to this thing I read. And what he explains is that uh, Otis Wharton, I think the person who Rooster was putting away in the beginning of the book. Right. He has escaped from jail. Right, that was is the what new news. Is the new news, and then while they're talking, I guess this is where because Labeef was getting his arm stitched up when when uh, Chief Captain Finch was was uh, talking to Rooster earlier, mm-hmm. and so that's why Labeef didn't introduce to him then. That's why I was confused because I forgot that's where the Rooster or that Labeef wasn't present for those conversations at the at the small town. So then, yes, no, you are entirely correct. That conversation about explaining the circumstances does lead directly into the Corn Dodger shooting. Game. Well, first it's a whiskey bottle. First it's right. everyone boasting about how what a crack shot they are, and Rooster throws up the whiskey bottle and shoots at it and misses, and it just made me laugh. It made me laugh because it's such a falsely calling your shot like throwing dice up in the air and thinking you're gonna catch it and throwing it into somebody's face i love the moment where he says he says um he says chinaman's selling me those cheap rounds again (laughs) here it is the chinaman is running them cheap shells in on me again and then and then labeef immediately calls back to him i thought maybe the sun was in your eyes 
That is to say, your eye. <laughs> and then they it's proceed. It's so shitty. It's so like, <laughs> it's such just like a fucking catty fucking asshole. Like both of them just being fucking dicks. <laughs> and then they they proceed to have a who can shoot shit out of the sky better and everyone sucks at it. Even this new guy. Yeah. They, they miss well, almost every shot they take and they're throwing all these corn dodgers up in the air. Yeah. missing most of them and it was funny because it's such a kind of send-up of a of a classic western trope of you know the dead eye but also i could not get over how much food they were wasting and i'm like fucking stop it food is at a premium you are in the middle of nowhere you might not know when you're going to eat again but knock that shit off it made me so anxious well they may have been inedible at this point like they were riding for a couple of days I don't know how long these corn dodgers last I feel like, like they're 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 like a variant of hardtack that there's just water and corn really with a little bit of salt yeah. to make it somewhat pal- palatable yeah but maybe still. I I, it, I, it, I mean I'm not saying I wasn't thinking the same thing but like it's it also it's such a joyful scene it was very it's fun. like it's like a scene in a movie where someone's just like having a bonfire on the beach and they're holding like Roman candles and just firing Roman candles at each other, like having a Roman candle fight. Don't do that by the way. <laughs> listeners. Um, but like, but that idea of like, that's, that's the sort of like fun of it is, you know, playing with playing with fire and um, like together and having just like, it felt, it felt like it really, it brought down like roosters, this, crotchety old man but also he's got this childlike playfulness in him that's very strong and and like it's fun it was fun to see a sequence where that comes out and same with labeef where like they all these, these are just boys like cowboys are just boys <laughs> like it, and they they got together and they decided they wanted to break stuff and shoot things and just have a good time and then they then they're like all right oh time to go then the girl has to tell him to go Thanks a lot, Charles Portis, and your never-ending sexism. I don't actually. I mean, it's not that. It's not that bad at all. He's no. He's actually not. pretty good. Yeah. I think that's uh, my my notes. Other than that, was a really long chapter, and that was the point where I realized we were done. I yeah. I hadn't realized it was only one chapter until I got to the end and went, oh, because the next chapter is the next the next episode, huh? Okay. Um, but it did make me curious. Are you running into stuff that's in the book that's not in the movie? Because yes. I don't remember the movie that well. Well, I don't know yet because here's here's the one thing in the movie that I do know happens. Mm-hmm. There's two things I know that happen in the movie that I have yet seen t- in in this story, and we still got a good chunk to go, but sure. it's it's got to wrap up next episode. So the things that haven't happened are Labeef didn't bite through his tongue mm-hmm. yet. I have a feeling he won't. Okay. Um. And at a certain point in the book, they they separate from Labeef. Rooster and... In the movie, and, you mean? In the, excuse me, in the movie, yeah. Okay. Rooster and Maddie separate from Labeef. He gets pissed off. Like, some night when they're together, sleeping, he gets pissed and fucking rides off. Hmm. And says he'll go find Tom Chaney by himself. And then they're stuck together. And then I think there's a certain point where, like that that morning so that might be literally what happens next i don't know but like the next morning like it might be what happens next because like sorry to spoil that 
but like I, I think in the, what what in the movie is that like Rooster gets pissed and tells her that he's done he's done hunting Tom Cheney he's not gonna find him and they're gonna go back and then she like gets all despondent and then other things happen that I won't talk about because you might not remember them oh I remember um, some of the things that happen okay um but we don't need to talk about him yet right but like that those are the things that I haven't seen happen yet and I, I may they may just be about to happen they may be right around the river bend um but the tongue thing specifically should have happened earlier now my guess is the tongue thing was replaced by the shot in the arm I also have a vague memory of the ambush sequence that they did in the movie. I don't think Labeef was with them for that. That's my memory. See, I don't remember. That, I, that's the part of the movie I don't remember at all. Was there a dugout? Was there the two oh, guys? Oh, there was. That sequence is fantastic. Okay. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure DJ Qualls plays Moon. Oh. I can totally see that. Remember when he was a thing? He's still occasionally a thing. Okay. Um. Yeah, like... I think that the, my memory of that sequence is that like Labeef shows up at the dugout after everyone else has shown up and tries to like talk to them. And then like Rooster's like that. I, I mean, I may be fucking it up, but that's my memory. And then the Rooster's like, oh shit, Labeef's here. Like we got to like save him right. or something like it's a, yeah, we'll find out how the book ends and then I'm definitely going to watch the movie. <laughs> so that's uh, that's all I got. Um, New word alert. New word alert. All right, you ready? Yep. Facile. Facile. I feel like we just had a conversation about this. And I feel like my go-to is childish, but I don't think that was the first definition listed, and I don't remember what they were. Uh, facile. Easily accomplished or attained, shallow, simplistic, used or comprehended with ease, readily manifested and often lacking sincerity or depth. Uh, there's also the second definition, which is mild or pleasing in manner or disposition. That's about it. That's it? I mean, no, no, no. That's it for the definition of fast, facile. Yeah, no, facile. I know, but I'm saying there's no childish. There's ready, fluent, poised, assured. Whatever, stupid dictionary. I mean, you could argue that the concept of simplistic is something you could apply I, to children. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Okay. I'm, I'm better than that. All right, you ready for the next one? I am. Depredate. Depredate? Depredate. Isn't that to bring someone low? Morally, perhaps? Uh, mm. I, I, I'm getting like a humiliation vibe, but also to like kind of take control of someone's destiny in a bad, toxic way. No, I I don't think so. Okay. Um, it is a transitive verb that means to lay waste, plunder, ravage, to engage in plunder. Oh, okay. Well then, not at all the way I was thinking of it. Hello. Aloof. Hello. Must spell it. H o l l o. Oh, that's just a way of saying hello. Yes. Now, technically, the one that I read in this, these chapters was hallooing. Halloo! And it is, uh, yeah, it's, it's to cry, to holler, to utter loudly. In a way that it's, your voice will carry. It's when uh, 
Captain whatever his Captain name. Phillips. Yeah, Captain Phillips. It's when Captain what's his name rides up. He's he's he rides up hallooing them. Uh-huh. And I was like, what does that word mean? And it turns out it just means like hollering. He was hallooing and hollering. Yep. So that's the end of this episode. The um next we're just gonna finish the book next time, which is a I've got chapter seven in an afterword. I think that's about it. Um I think it's just another big chapter mm-hmm. and then a little bit of I don't even know if there is an afterword. Let me see mine. Well, I'm reading mine. There may be I mean maybe you have something I don't have. I have I think I have what might I don't think there's a delineation between the two is what I'm saying for me. I'm sure it's the same text. Mm-hmm. Mine doesn't say this is a new chapter. Okay. Well, we'll see what um, happens. Mine mine doesn't have chapter numbers either, but it specifically had an afterword. I don't have that. Well, so. then we will have to see what it is. Yep. Well, so next chapter is chapter seven. Starts with Rooster Was. Uh, that was Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. Thanks for listening. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion. Follow us on Twitter and like our new Facebook page for Death Readers News. Become a patron at Patreon slash Death Readers. And please discuss us extensively on Reddit. Whoa. What? You just apparently lagged, but I didn't notice a lag, but then you just sped up. It was very crazy. You've never seen that before? Um, You do it all the time to me. Well, guess I'm not as worldly as you. I'm sorry. I don't know why you take offense to these observations. I don't take offense. You just did. You were like, I guess I'm not worthy. That's you. That That's me. That's what you sound like. Oh. Well, I'm glad you brought this to my attention. Thank you. You're thanking me for being glad. Now who's dumb? Yep. 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 George Michael songs, right? I don't know George Michael that well. I know the Jitterbug and the Christmas one. Faith and Faith Father Figure. Okay. Don't say I don't know that one. Say, so, oh, okay. It's a it's a weird one. Featured heavily in the cinematic uh, masterpiece Keanu. Oh, I still want to see that. Still haven't got around to it. Do you like it? I can't remember. I, I know there was some like, it's funny, but not what I wanted from some people. I don't know if you were one. I I remember liking it. Okay. It is the answer. Um, There's no wrong answers here. But I, I, was, I remember liking it because I was like, this is so weird and surprising. What a weird movie. Mm-hmm. What a weird movie to make. But that song heavily featured in that movie. Uh, and I'd say, like, you should definitely, if, if you have had any interest in seeing that movie, you should absolutely actually watch it. Oh, okay. I think, I, I mean, I think it's a, I don't remember who directed that movie. I don't, I don't know if Was I ever knew Was it not who Key or Peel? I wouldn't know because I don't know who did it. <laughs> I thought maybe that would jog your memory. You understand how conversation works, right? You understand how responses work, right? Like I can you understand how the fuck yourself works. Say right? that, like I no, it was Peter and Atencio. Yeah, you should. Uh, you, if like I said, if you have any, if you have had any slight interest in seeing this movie, you should definitely fulfill that interest and watch it because it's 
it's not the movie that it that like anybody asked for, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's 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 like one of those movies. It's one of those movies. Just like okay, okay, this is a movie. Okay. Um, and it's and it's pretty. I, I remember being pleasantly surprised. Oh, um, good review, or at least satisfied. I don't know. Pleasantly satisfied is that too redundant? You strike me as a viewer who's never been satisfied. Is that a thing? I'm just kind of paraphrasing Hamilton because I know you like it so much and it's wanted to connect with you on a base level. So now we're in simpatico. Well, if I were you, you I wouldn't Hamilton have gone with fan. Hamilton. You're a Stamil- Stanmilton. I don't know what that means. I don't like, you think you stand for Han- Hamilton. Do you? What does standing mean to you? Ralph? No, Stan, as in Stan, the song by yeah. Eminem. And how does how is that a verb? Explain that to me. Oh no, that's that's actually quite a verb. People like I'm asking I'm, you I'm, to I'm explain the on, verb. That's the fucking prelude. Okay, I'm giving you a little preface here. Now we're gonna get into my thesis statement. People will say things like, "Oh, I totally I understand sex this. in the city." That's how. Then that's how. That's how it's a verb. No, it's you're you, no, you're doing the sandwich thing again. No, 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 Ex- no, no. They're using it to describe a feeling of their super fandom. Okay. That's, but well, okay, what, but you just said you understood that people no, did that. No, Rob. What you said was what people do is they say, I'm standing this. That doesn't explain what it is. I was giving you... <laughs> Again. <laughs> when I write, sit down to write an essay, which will have supporting statements, mm-hmm. I don't have someone interrupting me like, no, what do you mean? Well, good. It is It is good. It's It's... Very healthy for my creative process. What is not having somebody standing over me interrupting my writing? But you were talking. It, it, it's the same thing. Do you know what a conversation is? <laughs> <laughs> it's when you write and have someone interrupt you. <laughs> I, anyway, yeah, okay. Is it? So you're telling me that that that. That terminology yeah. comes directly from the song Stan, which is to me means to become so obsessively fanatic with something that you would murder and kill, murder your other people and kill yourself with fandom. That's the uh, literal context that nobody who uses Stan in a sentence considers. They're just like, it's like saying, oh my God, I'm so obsessed with that. Yeah. Like you're that's not stupid. You're not I hate upset. it. Right. No, I hate it. I, I, I agree. I'm so OCD. I wash my hands once. Shut up. <laughs> it's like you, you, you know. I, I know you're never gonna watch this show, but there's a line in the office where like uh, somebody says, "Oh my god, I love jelly beans." They're like crack, and then yeah. another another character says, "I love how people who've never smoked ca- crack always you say that they that they love something like crack," mm-hmm. and then another character says, "Really? Have you?" You smoked a lot of crack. Do you, you think you can talk about that? Do you think you can make the conversation that people talk about this like crack because they've never done it because you're so much cooler than them? He's like, hmm, maybe. Um, I, I I would make an argument for the guy saying that that's a stupid analogy, even though I've never smoked crack. I'd say, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I agree. But I think okay. the, the, what he was doing in that show that I didn't sell is he was conveying it like he would know what it's like to smoke crack. No, I understand that. But okay. And I agree with your statement also. Okay. As someone who isn't signal making that signal, that it's still a bad analogy. Okay. Similar, so technically. Uh, 
like they, it is a simile, yes. But you can still call that an analogy. Fine, if you'd like to. Because similes and metaphors are but subpositions under the great grand analogy. Well, they're both calling analogous comparisons. Right, I'm saying they're both analogies. An example of analogy is a simile. An example of an analogy is a metaphor. I can give you further examples of either of those. but Only by using like or is. Okay. Um, a metaphor is like a simile, but a simile is a metaphor? No, see, you're wrong. Oh. <laughs> that's not how it oh. works. I'm not wrong. <laughs> and that's why it's genius. I don't... I, okay. The thing is... <laughs> those were examples of those things. Right, but the... the but My they sentence, were... the simile is like a metaphor was itself a simile. Yes. And my sentence, a metaphor is a simile, was itself a metaphor. But it's incorrect. <laughs> That's what but I'm saying. <laughs> the data conveyed is incorrect, but you asked for examples, not <laughs> correct Not data. good ones. You didn't ask for good examples, Doug. You just asked for a functional example. I showed you numbers in a sequence with, like, arithmetic signs. That's an equation, whether or not it means anything or it signifies anything You didn't important. ask me to solve for X, bitch. I kind of did. <laughs> you did not. A little bit. You a little wanted, bit. You wanted the quadratic equation bit. formula, and I gave you that shit. I, a little bit. I was mm -mm. like, maybe, maybe nope. do the thing. Nope. That's not what happened. You need to go back to math school. <laughs> and I'll go to English school. Okay. Um... I don't know where and that, that whole thing how was that an started. example of hyperbole. You're welcome. How was I not hyperbolic? I don't think so. <sighs> you weren't only in your the, behavior, but I, I don't the think fucking I don't like north wind of hyperbole. Well, see, that's just a metaphor. <laughs> no. You yeah it what it is. <laughs> yeah, hyperbole is a metaphor, but taken to extreme. No, no, but you weren't being hyper. <sighs> I wove a fucking hyperbolic tapestry. No, saying that jelly beans are like smoking crack is hyperbolic. Okay. We're not That's talking a, about the office. I'm not arguing that. I'm saying that is a hyperbole what, yeah. or, or is hyperbolic. What you're yeah. doing really wasn't. You're just being extra. I don't think you can just be extra and then claim that you're being hyperbolic so that you have some sort of high ground. What if I yield the high ground but... but, but maintain the definition of hyperbole i still don't think it applies in this the definition is wrong your use your 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 application of it is look you can have one or the other either i have the high ground or i'm right and hyperbolic i no <laughs> i come to you with a compromise and you just i come to you i come on to this you. The, day the day of my podcast of the lord's resurrection so you asked me in the beginning of all this nonsense how my day was. You're so good at that. I was so, so impressed. I'm like, wow. It's like snap back to reality. <laughs> how was... How was your day?